Well, good morning, faith family. If you got a Bible, go to Acts chapter 2, please. Acts chapter 2. Last week we started a new series. We're calling the Church on Mission. And this fall we are going through uh, probably about half of the book of Acts. Now, while you're turning to Acts 2, I need to say two quick things. First of all, has anybody told you today that you're awesome? Anybody? Okay, then let me be the first if that hasn't happened. You're awesome. And I mean that sincerely. I challenged you, I was about mid-August, about the next initiative, saying let's get this thing finished up quickly, and we saw increased and sustained giving uh, over these last few weeks. Um, we went from like eighteen to 20000 a week to now over 50000 a week. We now have about 240000 left on that, which means if we continue at the rate we're going, we're going to be done with this in about four or five weeks. Yay! Right? Now, our challenge was at the end of September, that was our hope, um, and so you know, if we can sacrifice more, we may be able to still see that finished up. But either way, thank you, thank you, thank you for the way that you're responding to that. And I had one of our ministry leaders, uh, you know, our, our programs got kicked off this past Wednesday, and she came up to me and said, you have no idea how this has enhanced our ability to do ministry. That's what it was always about ministry for the sake of the gospel. So thank you. The second thing, just very quickly, is we announced last week that we'll be starting a live venue in our gymnasium during the 9.50 and 11.15 hour uh, here in just a few weeks. And we'll be asking some of you uh, if you would be willing to go to that live venue to create more space in here uh, for our guests and visitors. So just be thinking about that, and we'll, we'll talk more about that in future weeks. Are you ready for Acts 2? I am. And I, this is my fourth time preaching it, and I'm still pumped up and excited. So let's go. Acts chapter 2, if you can stand, please do, as we honor the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at pretty much the whole chapter. So I hope you DVR'd the uh, Vikings game, all right, and brought a lunch. Well, let's read just a few verses here of this powerful, powerful text. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, Luke writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. As the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear? each of us in his own native language. This is God's Word. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for giving us uh, your truth. Thank you for um, giving us this opportunity now to learn from your Word. And I, I do. I ask that you would teach us, that you would convict us, and that you would take us to a place where we've never been before as we walk with Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
Well, up until about, I don't know, a little over 500 years ago, um, travel by sea was restricted. And the reason why it was restricted was because most people feared that they would sail off the ocean's edge, right? The mentality up to that point was that the earth was flat. You remember that? In fact, to, to represent that mentality of the day, they actually built a monument, and they placed it there at the Rock of Gibraltar, there at the southern part of Spain, where you had Europe on one side and Africa on the other, and that monument that they put there was called the Pillar of Hercules. We have an actual picture of what that monument looks like. It looks like that. <laughs> That's terrible. That's so wrong. What? But why are you laughing? Right? No, in all seriousness, there on that monument was a Latin phrase that read, Ne plus ultra. Its meaning, no more beyond. You see, that was their mindset. That everything that could be known had already been known. Everything that could be discovered was already discovered. As far as they were concerned, there really was no more beyond until something happened. There was an event that took place that would change human history. Do you remember it from school? Do you remember the little jingle that you learned? In 1492, Columbus what? Good job. A plus. Yeah. That's right. Christopher Columbus sailed past Gibraltar, discovered the new world. When he returned, word spread everywhere and they inscribed a new phrase on that monument. The phrase was plus ultra. More beyond. The world literally went from thinking no more beyond to more beyond, and that is exactly what happens in Acts chapter 2 to an even greater level. Why is that? You realize that redemptive history up until this point has been restricted. The presence of God only in the Holy of Holies. The people of God, only the nation of Israel. Uh, the mission of God, only to the people of Israel. The Spirit of God, though occasionally on and with people, never permanently dwelled in people. But in Acts chapter 2, we go more beyond. Now, before I show you that in the text, and before we dive into this, I have to ask you a question, and I want you to be thinking about this throughout the message. Which one of those phrases best represents your Christian life? In other words, are you a ne plus ultra type of Christian? Same old, same old. Never expectant of God to do big things. Never outside your comfort zone, or are you a plus ultra Christian? You're stretched. You live by faith. You expect God to do great things. You're growing in the gospel. Here's a question for you. I wonder which one of those phrases would represent our church. Somebody say, preach, preacher. Seriously, are we a ne plus ultra church? 
We want to be comfortable and we want to be traditional and we want to be safe. Or are we a plus ultra type of a church where we really want God to take us beyond? I hope that by the end of today, you are a Pentecostal. Oh, and I don't mean in the denominational sense like our dear brothers and sisters. I mean in the Acts chapter 2 sense where God takes us beyond. Verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Pentecost. Does that make you nervous? Does it give you certain kinds of imageries? Does it bring up certain times of emotion or even division? What is Pentecost? Faith family, it isn't that confusing and it shouldn't be that divisive. Pentecost was simply a Jewish festival. It was one of the highest attended festivals on all the Jewish calendar. People from all around would come together for this festival. Don't think Minnesota State Fair. Think World's Fair. All these different people would come together. In fact, look at verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Look at verse 9. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and on and on. You had people from everywhere coming together. Why? Walleye on a stick? <laughs> Chocolate covered bacon? Why are all these people coming together? Two reasons. And if you don't understand this, you do not understand Pentecost. First of all, it had something to do with the future. Pentecost was called the festival of the first fruits. You know what a first fruit is, right? It's the fruits that come first. I went to seminary for this, I know. <laughs> it's when you sample the harvest or the crop as a sign of what the full harvest is going to be like. It's an indication of what the future is going to be. So they would all come together. They would praise God for His provision in the past with their harvest. And they would look with anticipation to the future. It was the festival of first fruits. Don't forget that. It was not only just an issue of the future. It was also an issue of the past. Pentecost. Say that with me. Pentecost, Penta, five. Pentecost was associated with Sinai in the Old Testament. Sinai was 50 days, Penta, after the Passover lamb in Egypt. So it was a time where they would commemorate what God did for them at Mount Sinai. And what did God do for them at Mount Sinai? God entered into a covenant with Israel. Hmm. It's a festival of first fruits. And it's a commemoration of Sinai 50 days Pentecost after 
Passover. Well, what in the world happens in Acts 2? Maybe we should read it, verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. This is so amazing. Luke ends up being like a 7th grade girl. No offense if you're a 7th grade girl. But everything's like this and like that. And I mean like this and like that. I mean it is like a mighty rushing wind. This unbelievable noise like wind. This, these tongues that are like fire. You have signs and wonders. Why? Do you remember what happened at Sinai? Thunder and loud noises and lightning and fire. This is a like Sinai experience. Here's what you must understand right here, faith family. The Holy Spirit doesn't make this Pentecost. God is choosing to send the Holy Spirit on Pentecost because something's happening. What is happening? God is bringing a new covenant. He's taking us more beyond that all of those restrictions that we saw in the Old Testament are being removed in the sending of the Spirit. Let me show you. Journey with me in the timeline from Passover to Sinai. Notice it on the screen. You have the Passover lamb in Egypt. Do you remember that? Say yes. When they killed the lamb, put the blood on the doorpost, and the angel of the Lord did what? Passed over. Forty days later, they end up in Sinai. Moses then ascends up on the mountain. Ten days later, now you have your 50 days. The law comes down when Moses brings down the covenant. And what happens? Then there is signs and wonders, loud noises and fire. And Israel enters into a covenant with God. And they break that covenant. And what happens on that day? 3,000 people die. Hmm. What happens in Acts 1 and 2? Notice it on the screen. Jesus, the real Passover lamb, has been crucified on the cross. And according to Acts chapter 1, he spends, you're kidding, 40 days with his disciples. And then what does he do, Acts chapter 1? He ascends to heaven from a mountain. Ten days later, the law doesn't come down, but the Spirit comes down, accompanied with what? Signs and wonders. And the church is born. The new covenant is now here. And 3,000 people don't die. 3,000 people get saved. What's happening? God is sending the Spirit because the new covenant is here. We are more beyond. Now you can clap for that because some of you were holding back. 
We've gone from nay plus ultra to plus ultra, from no more beyond to more beyond. It's why Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36 sees a day when the Spirit will be put within. It's why Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31 sees a day where the Spirit will be put within. It's why Jesus looks at his disciples and says, My blood is the new covenant. That day is here. It means you can go more beyond that's awesome. I, I can't help but control my excitement when I talk about these things. It's the greatest news in the world. God has offered to us himself. And it's not just a new covenant here, but how do we know we get that covenant Not just now, but for the future. After all, Pentecost was the festival of first fruits. Hmm. Notice what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 23. We're going to get excited. You ready to get excited? I'm going to hold on. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the, you're kidding me, first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for a harvest. What? The adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. How do you know? Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, what happened? You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. The Holy Spirit is the first fruits. How do you know that you have a glorious future? He gave you the Spirit. He has promised you that what He has given us now, we will experience forever. God sends the Spirit on Pentecost because it is a new covenant and a guarantee that that covenant is not just now. It is forever. In what way? Now some of you Bible nerds have really loved this portion up to this point. You like the history. You like the charts. But some of you are like, okay, Pastor, this is a little bit much. What does all this mean practically? Let's break it down. I want to give you three really awesome things. Number one is this. What the new covenant means What the Spirit means as a guarantee of now and forever is this. The presence of God is in you and with you. Can I get excited for a moment? You ain't seen nothing yet. Come on. I mean, I'll I'll be reserved. This is amazing. The presence of God was confined in the temple. It was never in His people. Now, The Spirit of God and the presence of God is in us 
Is that not amazing? If you're a Christian, God is in you. But he gets gooder, as we say in the South. <laughs> Guess how long you're going to be in the presence of God? Forever! God gives you in the Spirit a joy that is fuller than full and longer than eternity. Why? Because Psalm 16 says that in His presence is fullness of joy. That's why I get excited about it. Because the Spirit gives us what? Practically the presence of God. God gives us Himself. Here's the second thing. He gives us salvation. That's what the new covenant is about. It's what the Spirit applies now and forever. Can I just get excited this morning about the fact that in Jesus we are made right with God? Could we get excited this morning about the fact that every single one of your sins has been wiped away and is white as snow? Could we just get excited about the fact that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? That's true of you now if you know Jesus, but it gets gooder you are groaning Romans 8 says for a future salvation one in which all of creation is going to be restored and glorified and it is going to be the ultimate salvation revealed and how do you know you're going to be there you have the spirit now it's why Paul says, if any man be in Christ, guess what he or she is? A new creation. You're already a part of that future salvation now. That's what the new covenant's about. That's why the Spirit comes, because we get the presence of God. We get the salvation of God, and we get to be a part of the mission of God. I know what some of you are thinking. What about the whole speaking in tongues, buddy? You can't dodge it. I have no intention to dodge it. Notice what happens. Verse 4. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 6. And at the sound of the multitude, they came, multitude came together. They were bewildered. Why? Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Verse 8, how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? What is this speaking in tongues? Well, what it is is simple from the text. It's the supernatural ability or the God-given ability to speak a language that they did not already know. That's what it is. They're hearing them speak. They shouldn't know their native language, but they're speaking in their native language. It's like turning on Duck Dynasty and watching Uncle Si all of a sudden start speaking French. It's like, how do you know French, right? It's a supernatural ability to speak a language they did not already know. Well, why didn't God just send Rosetta Stone? <laughs> Learn these in 20 minutes. Why not just Aramaic? They have no problem understanding Peter, the rest of Acts chapter 2. What is God doing? If I had time, I'd take you there, so let me just summarize it. Do you remember Genesis chapter 11 in the Tower of Babel? Listen to my language very closely. 
Mankind is trying to make a name for himself, and God comes down. And he makes them speak in different languages for the purpose of confusion. What happens in Acts chapter 2? God comes down and makes them speak in other languages for clarity. God's reversing something. It's a foretaste. It's a foreshadowing. It's a first fruit of what? Where the mission of God is going the next 2,000 plus years and beyond. It is the beginning, and we need to be thankful for this, of a multi-language, multi-ethnic mission. That's what the Spirit is doing here. It is a revival of the mission of God. This isn't a dig. It is Acts 2. Speaking in tongues is not meant to be personal. It's meant to be missional. It's a first fruit of where the mission of God is going. How do I know? Read the rest of the Bible. When you get to the book of Revelation, what do you find? You have all different peoples gathered once again, speaking in language they understand. And what are they doing? They are celebrating the mighty deeds of God, not making a name for themselves. And who are they singing it to? Their Passover lamb for worthy is the lamb who was slain. It is the mission of God more beyond. What is Pentecost? Simply put, it is a festival of first fruits commemorating the Sinai Covenant. Why does God send the Holy Spirit on Pentecost to give us the first fruits of a new covenant and a foretaste of our future? Amen? How? Did we just get here overnight? How in the... How in the world did we go from restriction to all access? Something had to happen here where now the presence of God is no longer restricted. The salvation of God is no longer restricted. The Spirit of God is no longer restricted. Why is Pentecost able to happen? I'm going to let Peter tell you. Verse 14. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, saying this, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. These people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour, that is 9 a.m. in the day. Peter means that as a sarcastic joke. There's proof that sarcasm is a spiritual gift and a love language. (laughs) It's 9 a.m. They're not drunk. 
What's happening here? Verse 16. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And Peter preaches a sermon from Joel chapter 2. You can read it. It's about a time Joel saw where the Spirit of God would come upon God's people and they would prophesy. That is, they would speak the mighty deeds of God. And look at the last verse that he quotes, verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How how is it that the Spirit of God can come this way? How is it that the salvation of God can come this way? I'll let Peter answer it. Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But here's what happened. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it's not possible for him to be held by it. Verse 32, this Jesus God raised up and of that we are witnesses, just like Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Why are we able now to have access to the presence of God? Why are we able now to receive the salvation of God? How in the world is it that Norwegians can be a part of the people of God? And rednecks from Tennessee and everywhere. I'll tell you how. The gospel. Everything that was required for our salvation has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Peter preaches the gospel. You want to know how can all this be so? I'll tell you how it's so. Joel spoke of this day. This day is now here. How? Because Jesus lived. Because Jesus died. Because Jesus rose. And because Jesus is at the right hand of God. There, eight of you were excited about that, all right? Listen, 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 listen. There is no Sinai without Passover. There is no Pentecost without a cross. You get the presence of God, the salvation of God, and the mission of God goes more beyond because of Jesus. And then, probably the most important question that will be asked all day, which is not what are you going to do for lunch and not how does your fantasy football team look this afternoon. Here's the most important question you could ask all day. If that's what is offered because of that which has happened, then how do I get it? Your eternity hangs in the balance. How do I get it? I'm going to let Peter answer that question. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? You see, that's the most important question. How do we get this? And the first thing that happens is this, faith family. They were cut to the heart. They were convicted. It is in the literal language being pierced with a sword. Why would he use that language? 
the sword of the Spirit. The Word of God is a two-edged sword because when the gospel is proclaimed and the Spirit of God is at work because those two things work together, you get cut. I don't care about your religion. I don't care if your mom and dad raised you in church, although that's great. I don't care if you've been in church all your life. You don't get what God offers until you have seen your sin for what it is. You get cut. You get wounded with the gospel. There is a a great story, a legend story of a dog named Gellert. He was the dog of a great prince. And the prince returned home one day from a trip. And he noticed that his infant son was nowhere to be found. His cradle was turned over. And he, he didn't see him anywhere. But he noticed his dog with blood running down his mouth. He assumed his dog had killed his son. He pulled out his sword and killed the dog. Immediately he hears the cry of his infant son as he pulls back the cradle, notices his son lying on the ground unharmed but lying next to a wolf that was dead. You see, the dog hadn't harmed the son. The dog had protected the son. And in that moment, the prince realized something. He had just killed the very one who provided salvation. It was your sin that nailed him there. And until you get to the point where that breaks you, you don't get in. Because the self-righteous are not allowed. Do you know those who see God? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. They will see God. Those who are cut to the heart. And then what do they do? When they are cut to the heart, they respond by faith. Notice verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you'll get all of this. After falling under conviction and being cut to the heart, you need to repent. You say, I don't see faith anywhere here. All I see is repentance. Well, first of all, repentance and faith go together. True repentance is turning from your sin into God. You don't repent without believing, and you don't believe without repenting. Did you get that? And for those of you who are technical about it, you see it again in verse 41. So those who received his word. Here's what you must do. Right here, faith family. you got to do exactly what they did. Admit you're wrong about Jesus. Fall under the conviction that it was your sin that nailed them there and admit what they had to admit on that day. We got it wrong. He's not just a religious figure. He's not just a good guy. He wasn't just a cool person to follow and watch him do miracles. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is God in flesh. And I believe it and I surrender to him today. Without that, you don't get what God offers. 
They received the word. And not only were they cut to the heart, and not only did they receive the word and believe and repent, but they identified themselves publicly with Jesus. What does Peter say? Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Oh, we make such a big deal about that one phrase, for the forgiveness of your sins. Don't pluck one verse and build a whole theology on it. Read the entirety of the New Testament, all of Romans, all of Galatians. Listen, water, it's not the act of water that saves you. It's what gets you in that water. Faith! Because your problem's not external. You can't wash it away with physical water. Your problem is internal, and that can only be washed away by the Spirit coming in when you believe. And how do people know that you believe? You do what Jesus commanded you to do. Be baptized. Faith is interwoven with the act of baptism in that it is the public declaration of your faith. We don't fully understand that today simply because baptism doesn't sever you, at least in our culture, the way it did then. For these Jews to say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I was wrong about him, I believe in him, there was only one way you were going to let the world know, baptism. Meaning this, your faith would be shown in baptism. It would be like me saying, I love, 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 love my wife. I just don't want anybody to know I'm married. I don't want any type of thing where there would be any witnesses whatsoever. I just kind of want my own little private. No. You would say, if you love your wife, then you want people to know about it. Why is it that some of you say you love Jesus, but you have failed to do the very thing Jesus has commanded you to do? Be baptized. Sever yourself from your past and from the culture by demonstrating the faith that has washed all your sins away by entering into the water. So, what do we walk away with with Pentecost? All this has been offered because of Jesus Christ. And our response is, we are convicted of our sin, we believe in Jesus, and we demonstrate that belief through baptism and public identification. I want to give you three things as we leave, and I'll be quick. Three things that we learn. I told you at the beginning I want you to leave Pentecostal. Are you Pentecostal yet? Not denominationally, but according to what we see in Acts 2, and I'm going to give you three things and we're out of here. Number one is this. You know that the Spirit of God is at work when there is bold proclamation. I want us to be Pentecostals, that is, men and women and teenagers and children who are unashamed of the gospel. Why? Acts 2 is not a special emotional experience. It is a call to proclaim the mighty deeds of God in your life because when the Spirit of God is at work in your life, the mission of God is advanced. It's all over Acts chapter 2. They are proclaiming God. They're proclaiming the gospel. When the Spirit is at work, we are on mission. It is why 
Oh, I wish I had two hours. It is why you don't... I'm not going to beg and plead with you to evangelize. I'm not going to twist your arm to give. I'm not going to try to beat you over the head with stuff. Here's why. Those things are overflow of the Spirit. I'm not going to motivate you by law. I'm going to motivate you by Spirit. Because when the Spirit is alive, you boldly proclaim. It is overflow. And not only bold proclamation, but life transformation. We see here everything from the apostles. Think of Peter. That's a whole other sermon. Do you remember this guy a few pages earlier? Scared of a girl? Now boldly proclaiming? You see those who get cut to the heart. What's the point? When the Spirit is at work, lives are transformed. Because when the Spirit is at work, we are convicted and we repent and believe and repent and believe and we repent and we believe. Why? Why do I preach this way? Why do I scream and yell? Why do I, why do I get in your face every week? Because the goal of this thing is conformity to the image of Christ. And that means being transformed day by day, week by week, month by month, as the Spirit is at work in our lives. Would you please come to the point where you love conviction? Get up on Sunday morning and say, I can't wait to hear that guy yell at me so I can feel bad. (laughs) Knowing that he's going to comfort me in all that is good, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Spirit is at work when you're changing. And lastly is genuine salvation. I want us to be Pentecostals because what we see on that Pentecost is there were people for the very first time who fell under the conviction of sin, put their faith in Jesus, and publicly declared that faith in baptism. Listen, listen, listen. I'm not looking for 3,000 a day. I'm just looking for one. You know why? Because heaven rejoices over one. Some of you have been playing a religious game. Some of you, it's just your parents' faith. Some of you, it's just a religiosity. I pray that today the Spirit takes you more beyond, that is, to genuine salvation in Jesus Christ. Faith family, can I tell you that up until about 2,000 years ago, the presence of God and the salvation of God and the mission of God was restricted. In fact, there was even a monument that they built that symbolized that very reality. Do you remember? There on one side was the Holy of Holies, and there on the other side was the holy place, and there it was that symbol, the curtain. And what did it represent? Oh, it could be summarized by one simple phrase, nay, plus, ultra, no, more, beyond, But I'm here to proclaim to you something today that there was an event in history that changed the course of humanity forever. Forever. Do you remember the jingle? In 33 AD, Jesus hung upon a tree. He took our sin. He rose again. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And a new reality has come forth. A reality that can be summarized with this phrase. Plus ultra. 
more beyond how do we know because God sent his spirit that we might experience his presence, receive his salvation, and carry out his mission to the ends of the earth. Faith family, because of Jesus Christ, there is absolutely nothing keeping us from living more beyond. And all God's people said, amen. God, make it be. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this wonderful truth that you've given us. Your presence, your salvation, your mission unleashed at Pentecost. Oh, what a glorious thought that we have access to all these things because of Jesus Christ. But that's only true if we have seen our sin for what it is. We have admitted that we were wrong about Jesus and confess Him as Lord. And that we identify ourselves with Him for the rest of our life. God, please, by Your Spirit, right now, take us more beyond. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's worship.